welcome to Arash's World, Dr. Carla, uh, Carla Mary Manley. Um, she has a, a new book, and uh, an excellent book called Date Smart, Transform Your Relationships and Love Fearlessly. And um, I'd like to um, introduce you, or actually, I'd like you to introduce yourself here briefly for, for us all. Um, just tell us whatever you'd like to let us know about you. Okie doke. So, um, Carla Marie Manley, a clinical psychologist in Sonoma County, California. Um, I specialize in relationship issues, stress, anxiety. I come from a body, mind, spirit paradigm, a very holistic paradigm. So I really try and look at what's going on for the whole person the, and put everything in context. And the re, so I have three books, um, all with Familius Publishing. The first is Joy from Fear and then Aging Joyfully. And then this one, which is Date Smart. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And so um, I actually uh, know um, Carla from a couple years back, and we actually had an interview two years ago, um, but that was a completely different interview. It was just basically online questions that I sent to you. And um, you described yourself there, I remember, as uh, soulful, strong, and integrous. <laughs> and all of this is true, I can tell you, after um, interacting with you over the two years. So um, definitely true. And your book, Joy From Fear, really touched a chord with me when, when I read it. And uh, it was really in uh, what I was going through at the time. So it really spoke to me. It resonated with me. And it was really uh, actually a first glimpse and taste of mindfulness in, in a way that I hadn't thought about before that. So thank you so much for that wonderful book. Thank you. It's really, it's been a gift to me and to people whose lives like yours that it's touched. So yes, I really love that book. It, um, yes, yes, it's my baby. Exactly. And it's like, and it was, it was your first book. If, if It I'm was correct? my first. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, what a great start. What a wonderful <laughs> start there. And um, I like also that you're using the word fearlessly here. So, so, so fear in, in your latest book, Date Smart, and you're using the word fearlessly. And I think that's really important because um, fear is part of us. And I like the way you're approaching it is not the enemy. Try to deal with it. Try to learn from it. Try to listen to it and accept it. Uh, and, and that's the best way of, of uh, dealing with it and um, um, being able to form re relationships with yourself as well as with others, which will, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just agreeing with you wholeheartedly. And which brings us to the uh, the book Date Smart. Now, um, this is not my realm currently. I wish I had this book about 20 something years ago. Um, but it is um, it, the, the point here is also the smart part, you know, so um, with with dating, this is not you say it's not a hookup guide. There are other books that do that. This is about being smart about dating. So before we dive into it, and there's a lot of questions I have for you, but before uh, we dive into the book, um, how would you define dating? Dating to me, and I know it has lots of meanings for everyone, but the way I look at dating is the process of looking for a partner looking for a life partner or a short-term partner, but it is the process of looking for a partner. 
<laughs> That's a great answer. And so um, I'll just personally, I'm interested in that question is, at what age would you say, is it uh, okay to start dating? What would be uh, a suggestion? I know everyone is different. And um, I am referring to my son who's uh, becoming a teen soon. So um, what would be your guidance there? You know, it's interesting because I can actually speak to that from personal experience. I was not allowed to date um, growing up, just wasn't allowed to date, whether I was 15, 16, 17, 18. And so I didn't accrue any dating skills. I simply had none. Then I went off to college and there were all these guys and all these people. It was like, oh my goodness. And so I learned not that my, my parents actually meant to protect me, but it also did harm. And so I think when we come to dating, it's not so much the particular age, but really looking at the child, because you may have a child who's 15 and quite precocious, or a child who's 17 and just not quite interested in dating yet, or maybe a 13-year-old who's really precocious. So to me, it's about tuning into your child and helping them understand that it's about navigating the world of dating in a really conscious way, rather than just plunging into sex, plunging into hookups, you know, plunging into a lifetime commitment with your high school sweetheart that you may not, you know, may or may not be the right one, that it's really about dating when, when we look at it in a more global sense is about learning who you are. And so that's not a piece that I included in my very short definition, but I think that dating, which is why I love Date Smart, it's a book that I could read as a married woman that anyone could read because it's really talking about relationships. So it's talking about, in fact, the subtitle is, I think, transform your relationships and love fearlessly. So it's not specifically about just dating. It is about get to know who you are and then use those skills and that self-awareness to find the right partner if there is, if you do want a partner. And sometimes people start the dating journey and they realize, mm, I don't really want a partner. And so when you know, I speak to back to your question about your son, that it's so important for us when, when you're looking at your child to just say, hey, when you're ready to date or you start getting interested in dating, Let's have a conversation and then we can go through some tools and some skills and you can ask me questions and then it becomes a natural part of the conversation. It's not taboo. You can't not talk about this topic or that topic, but then the child, just like anything else, right? You know, their, their physical health, their mental health is just a part of that natural flow rather than something that's either pushed on a child or forbidden. Yes, and you mentioned you don't have to date in your book, which uh, resonated with me too, because there's this pressure of like, again, whether you're a teen or even at any age group, that you are kind of pressured to date someone. And if you're, if you're on your own, it's seen as something negative, but that is not the right approach of feeling pressured to go on a date or dating someone. Rather, as you say, following uh, your natural flow and listening to, to the voice inside mm -hmm. of you that mm -hmm. tells you. 
Absolutely. And sometimes, and this is a huge part of Date Smart. Date Smart is not just about building self-awareness, of course, although that's the key component, knowing who you are and what you need. And that's always a work in progress. So you may not know everything and that's okay. Um, but to know about yourself and then to know what do I want in a partner? And that may change at different stages in life. It often does change. Maybe when you're, you know, 17, you want somebody to go on walks with and, and explore life with and do your homework with, right? And explore, you know, the first aspects of sexuality, kissing and, or, you know, some people love going beyond that, right? But it's about maybe careful, thoughtful exploration. And then maybe in your 20s, you're really stepping it up and looking at maybe I want a lifetime partner um, or maybe I don't. What would I want in a lifetime partner? And then, you know, once we hit the, of course, the age ranges have changed, you know, in the last few decades, it's changed from getting married in your early 20s to getting, then it's moved to getting married in your, or connecting, it doesn't have to be marriage, but, you know, making a commitment in your late 20s. And now for many people, it's their 30s and early 40s. They're making their first big life commitments. So the timing has changed. But what I really have learned, it's really been impressed upon me in writing this book and talking about it, is how important it is for us to realize that dating shapes us. It shapes us. And so if we're jumping into dating and not thinking about it, we can actually become traumatized. We can traumatize other people if we're really indiscriminate and thoughtless and heartless. And so that for, for me, it's really about being conscious, not that there's any right way to do it or wrong way to do it. But if we're coming from a place of, I know who I am, and I know it's important to me. And then I meet you and I say, Arash, this is who I am. This is what's important to me. And you say, wow, you know, we really match up. Or, oh, no, we don't really match up. And then both people can go their separate ways. But let's take it differently. And I say, oh, Arash, this is who I am. Or I think it's who I am. And who are you? And you're telling me who you think you are, but you're really just putting on a mask and hiding from me. And I'm hiding. Then we're going to be two people who are both hiding from ourselves and from each other. And that's not going to make a good relationship. And it's certainly not going to make a good friendship. And so I'm really big on people learning who they are, learning where they are in life and being honest about that with anyone they're dating. And so that is really the heart and soul of Date Smart. And I give tips and tools about that. And the reason, Arash, I find that so important is that in my clinical practice, when I work with clients, so many of them, and it's why I decided to write Date Smart, I met and continue to meet people who have been traumatized by their dating relationships, even ones where they thought it was something, oh, I hooked up, you know, three times a week and I, you know, and they'll be talking to me and they go, and I didn't realize how I was doing it because it's what everybody else is doing it and it's not right for me and it's really hurt me and I don't know who I am anymore. And that's actually far more common for 
all the age groups than you would think. And so it's not that I judge hookups necessarily. I really try to come from a non-judgmental accepting place. But I do see that the people who tend to do well with a hookup lifestyle are the people who are both very compartmentalized. And they're just very clear. This is what we're doing. I don't want a relationship. I just want someone to fill a void in my life, whether it's sexually or, you know, not generally emotionally, it's generally just sexually or just, I want a placeholder in my life. But most other people are truly, because we are as humans, we're gregarious, we're meant to mate, we're meant to be with people and we're meant to have a partner. We tend to feel better that way. Um, and so I think that today's world's gotten a little bit out of whack and it's and the relationship world in general, and it's really um, causing a lot of heartache. And the other piece, and then I'm just going to pause and let you take the lead, is we have become a society that is so disposable. You know, we, we dispo we're disposability oriented. And so we tend to think, oh, I'll swipe left, I'll swipe, swipe right. Oh, you know, this one's not working. I'll ghost them. Oh, that one's not working. And we're just plowing through people. And we might even live with someone and go, oh, you know, you're not the right one. Get out of here or marry someone. Oh, you know, this isn't working. It's no fun. I'm out of here. And so we're, we're looking at people who have, you know, two, three, four, five, six divorces or, you know, serial breakups. And it's really traumatic for the psyche. Yes, and uh, I, I do have a couple of questions about the different age groups too, but uh, what you're saying, you're answering a lot of the questions I had <laughs> later on, so uh, that's going really well. And so yeah, but I, two things I've noticed also is that a lot of people have uh, what is known as FOMO, uh, fear of missing out, as well as uh, fear of commitment. And in many cases, they do not want to accept that. So it's when when the fear is there, but you try to say, no, this, is, I, that, this doesn't apply to me. And when I listen to them and talk to them and I realize, yes, this is applying to you. And so it's, it's really important to be honest. And that was one of my questions. How important is honesty? And do you answer that perfectly? It's um, way up there. Exactly. It's, and respect. That was my second thing. And uh, I think uh, respect is also something that is sorely lacking in, uh, in, in today's world. And um, we need to really um, think, be more, uh, have more empathy with others and try to understand them and also not to judge them all the time about everything. There's so much division, but there's also so many things that we have in common and we just overlook that in, in today's world. And so specifically, I'd like to know, what would you say to millennials who are going through the, the dating phase most likely and what kind of specific tips would you have for, for that generation or, or that group of people? You know, for millennials, I was doing a podcast with these two um, lovely millennials who, who host a great podcast. They were asking me all sorts of questions about honesty, about friendship, about hookups. And um, both of them lovely, you know, probably 20 year olds. And um, as we, they were asking me, you know, is it normal for me? to be tired of hookups? Is it normal for me to, because you know it just doesn't feel right, but I know everybody's doing it. And absolutely, it might feel normal for you. And if it feels normal, I mean, for you to be upset about hookups, if that feels upsetting to you, 
then that is a sign from your heart and soul that says, this path isn't right for me. And so when a question comes up, and this is speaking to millennials, but anyone, but no matter what your peers are doing, no matter what you're seeing on TikTok or, you know, wherever, tune into, just like you would with food, right? Somebody's eating ice cream, but maybe you ice cream doesn't sit well with your, your body, right? So no matter what your peers are doing, just pause to tune into, is this right for me? And so when you're dating, by continuing to come back to this place of, is this right for me? Does this person, this guy, this girl, are their interactions right for me? You know, I'm working with a lovely millennial right now where, you know, she's only, I think she's almost 22. And she was saying how, you know, she went through a stage where she was using a lot of weed, a lot of um, alcohol, various drugs, and she's moved past that. And she's noticing how the people who were her friends and the people she had dated when she was in that stage really aren't connecting with her now. And she's not connecting with them. And she goes out with them and she's sitting there and not drinking and she's a designated driver. And she's feeling very disconnected. So what she's realizing is that not judging those people, but realizing that she has evolved in a different direction and that she needs people who are on a different plane, which for her means no drugs, no alcohol, or if they're drinking just a little bit and people who are interested you know, in self-growth. And that's a conclusion she came to. So no matter where you are as a millennial in your dating journey, it is really just coming back to after you're with someone or you're about to go on a date. It's about learning to reflect on what's right for me. What do I want out of this? And let me communicate that to the other person. And I also believe, as you were saying, that honesty and respect are absolutely critical absolutely critical and as i talk about in date smart and i have different mindset tips that are just these little shifts that you can make in your mind and there is one that about you know honesty truth respect right that those are more or as important as oxygen mm -hmm. and so when we are honest with ourselves truthful with ourselves respectful with ourselves and we do that with others then we can't help but have relationships. You might not find the right connection, but at least you will have a relationship that felt like a good connection. It might end in friendship. It might not end in friendship. I mean, you might not stay in touch with the person. But so that would be my biggest thing for millennials is that you have so much going on. It's such a busy world out there. Millennials have so much pressure, you know, just so much pressure the way the planet is today and, you know, inheriting this rather, you know, sad state of, of the planet that that alone is really stressful. So again, just tuning in, that's probably the biggest thing for millennials. Uh, I am personally big on romance. And for me, that was always important in my life and still is. Um, but when, I, when I'm seeing uh, what people are saying and how people are seeing dating and relationships, and I, I feel that there's a danger there of like losing romance. And in many ways, there are, uh, there's this pressure. If I was dating today, I think I'd be very worried about, you know, what's, what's consent, what can I do, what can I not do? And, and everything could be misinterpreted or maybe not. And so it's just like dating 
in itself is is very stressful and just adding these extra layers i think really confounds the issues and it loses in my view a bit of that romance of that magic of you know where you know you feel freer to be yourself where now you're also a bit afraid of like i don't want to offend the other person by accidentally saying something that they might misinterpret. So um, what would you say about that? Is, is that true or is just my perception of, of reality? I actually, I think it's such a good point. And I do agree with you. There is across all age groups, a loss of romance. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you too, that we really see it um, a great deal with millennials and with Gen Z because it's become there as you say there's such a fear of if I open the door for someone if I get them flowers exactly. if I you know cook them dinner if I pay for the meal am I going to offend them mm -hmm. and there is a part where we can be romantic and still certainly you know be very cautious and respectful of other people's needs and um, societal norms but I also think that when you're living in fear of getting it wrong, that does tend to dampen, you know, romance. And so, and I think that that's part of, if we slow down before we start dating and say, what do I want? Is romance important to me? And for many of the people I work with, romance is important to them. And so being able to communicate that to someone that you are dating saying, you know, this is okay with me. It is okay if you open my door or it's not okay if you open my door, but you can show me romance this way. And yes, it's fine for you to bring me flowers, but don't expect me to, you know, cook you dinner, you know, every night you can cook dinner too. So I think it's really about just getting some of the expectations clarified and the preferences clarified and then working to keep romance in your relationship. And I'm, I'm really big on that because we often forget the importance of dating our partner forever. You know, whether you get married, have a life partnership, whatever it looks like, it's important to date that person. It's important to treat them the way you were treating them when you were going out with them. Why would you not? Exactly. Yes. And so I remember a talk where they said about making sure that everything goes well when you're dating. So send a text message and say, is it okay if I kiss you? And if they say yes, so then you actually have it written down in the, in the, the, on your cell phone. And I think that really, to me, was just horrifying. It's like that just kills that moment. You know, it's like, but uh, again, this this is a, a stage. And I, I wonder if it's maybe something we're going through and we're passing through because of all the changes that are happening. And we need to maybe like just integrate some of it and then we'll move in a different direction, perhaps. Hopefully that's, it's kind of like a process, I guess. And we're we're moving to a better place, but this is like the, the growth part, the kind of painful part. So that might be something. And I want, another thing I'd like to ask about is um, dating after 50. So we have uh, more people who are doing it. And if you look at like previous generations who were maybe afraid of doing it or didn't talk about it openly. And now we have like uh, online dating sites that specifically tailor uh, that age group. And so uh, how has that changed for, for people who are uh, maybe um, in the uh, after in the middle part of their life? You know, how, how has that how has dating changed and uh, what are your thoughts on that? So, you know, it's interesting because, of course, Gen Z and millennials, they've grown up 
with online dating, digital dating, right? Using apps, Bumble, Tinder, whatever, right? And so for them, it's natural. And of course, we've had to move, fortunately or unfortunately, to online dating because we no longer have, in many cases, these close-knit communities where people are naturally being introduced to people they might connect with or, you know, going to a you know, a community event where they meet people, you know, time after time, um, and then get a friendship started and build on that. So that's not happening as much. And so for people who are in their 50s and looking to date, and this is happening for 40 year olds as well, 40, 50, 60, right? And they're out of a relationship, maybe somebody they met or knew um, in high school and were married to now they're divorced or the person has passed away or whatever. And so they're looking and saying, but I haven't ever, you know, dated online or I haven't dated anyone for 20 years. And so they're very, very scared. And it's normal to be a bit frightened and a bit anxious about dating. But what I tell people is if online dating isn't quite for you yet, join clubs, whether it's a meetup group or something with people who have similar interests, whether it's art, hiking, you know, gardening, volunteering, Join groups where you can meet people and you might not meet the person you date through that venue, but you might meet someone who introduces you to someone. So that's a, a lovely option that we forget sometimes that we that we can access. And then the other piece is if you are moving to app dating or online dating to just really be first for everyone, be honest in your profile, just be honest about who you are and what you're looking for. And um, if possible, write your own profile. Don't have a friend do it, although a friend's insights can be helpful, but you know, be really straightforward. And if you're looking for a friendship, say that, you know, a friendship and, and work toward romance. If you're looking for a life partner, say that. If you're looking for someone, you know, that you just want to have sex with and you don't want a commitment, be honest about that. Save everybody the trouble, right? And, and you know, it's, it's that honesty piece. And the other piece that I tell people, because I have many clients of all age groups, but I tell people, try to steer clear of a first date where there's alcohol involved. Because um, we have become so accustomed to alcohol as a social lubricant. So, um, it's important, at least to me, that you're able to tolerate meeting someone in your natural state and that you have a conversation that's actually natural and built on, you know, you two really getting to know each other as you are. As well, then there's no risk of having two, three, four, five, six drinks and then finding yourself in a situation that you would really rather not be in. So I think that those first dates are really important. The other tip that I give to people is if you're going on a first date, make it an open place and time limited. So 30 minutes at a coffee shop, 30 minutes at a tea place where you don't have to worry about who's paying for what and you're not sitting down for you know a three course dinner and worrying about how the bill's being handled. You get to know the person in, a, in an open public space. And the other thing is, you know, sometimes people will meet in a public place to go on a walk. And I think that's lovely, as long as you feel safe, as long as there are other people around. And so once people realize that there are just some basics to follow and that you are 
meeting people, you are getting to know them. And if you approach each connection as just meeting someone that you might form a friendship with, then it doesn't feel so terrifying. It feels more like, oh, I'm meeting them, they're meeting me. If it doesn't work, I'll just really be honest and say, you know, I don't see the connection forming here, but you know, you're a lovely person. And then maybe the person will say that to you and it might sting a little bit. Of course it does. If we're not, you know, being met by, oh, you're just the one, it, of course it would hurt, but that's okay. You can tolerate it. Better to hear that early on than to really invest in someone and you really find out later on all they want is sex or they're married or whatever it is, right? And so I just am a big fan of taking it slowly and mindfully. I, I very much I found it interesting that there seems to be a gender difference that uh, males tend to fall in love more quickly than women. So after a th three dates and then women are a bit more hesitant and uh, uh, careful and cautious. And I, I found that very interesting. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that? That was quite fascinating. Yes, it was. That, that, that statistic surprised me too. And I think that really what that would boil down to, if I take it, you know, from a, a very rational level, that men tend to be very much ruled by hormones. So those feelings of love start percolating, not that women aren't sexual and aren't, you know, at the mercy of their hormones, but men are looking for how does she look, you know, how does she sound, and would she be a good sexual partner, right? That's kind of up there for men. <laughs> Women are, even though, you know, the sexual piece is certainly there, women are looking for, hmm, am I attracted to him? Is he kind? You know, is he sexy? Are there red flags? So for a woman, it is more, you know, we look at it on a really historical level. Men are out there surveying the world, which one can I get? And women are looking more closely and saying, hmm, which one is the right one? You know, which is the one I want to let into my into my world? And so, not that those are complete generalizations, but that is what that research found, and it does make sense because men tend to be very, as we know, very visual. Speaking of the right one, do you believe in soulmates? And I believe I, when I went through all your thirty-three mindset shifts that you're talking about, I found that very useful, and a lot of them actually applied to me. And the very last one I found fascinating. So I, my answer would be yes. You do think that there could be a soulmate? Would you agree with that? That destiny might be at work in certain ways. What What is your view here? I believe. That's such a good question. So some people talk about soulmates or twin flames and toxic twin flames and all of these different things. And so the twin flame piece and the toxic twin flames, I definitely believe that when it comes to twin flames, you can have someone who's attractive to you, but there's just this toxicity between you and you're, you're attracted to each other, but you're just toxic to each other. So there's an attraction, but it's based on toxicity. So I like to just leave that twin flames over there and not go into that too much more than looking at the toxic ones, because you see that a lot in both sexes where one will say, oh, we're meant to be, we're meant to be. And the other one's like, oh yeah, I guess we're meant to be. Yes, we align. And then they get into relationship and they realize that they are really connected to each other based on dysfunction 
whether it's drug abuse, alcohol abuse, you know, something abusing each other, you know, verbal abuse. It's so it becomes very, very toxic. So as to soulmates, I do believe that in a lifetime, we could have many soulmates because my way of looking at a soulmate is someone who, whether you believe in past lives or not, right? But we were looking at, are there people the soul quality matches ours? That So if you believe in past lives, it would be, oh, I've met this soul before and this soul is meant to come connect with me and be part of my life, right? If you don't believe in past lives, it's more like, hmm, your energy matches my energy and we are good for each other. We feel good for each other. We are growth oriented with each other. And so that, yes, I definitely believe that there are people on the planet, but again, whether it's a past lives, karmic issue, um, or simply you're in the here and now and you've met someone who just really feels good. And so I absolutely believe that if we slow down and take our time, and know who we are and know what we want, then when we're coming from that place, we tend to draw like-minded people to us. Just like I built you know, a friendship with you, right? We are like-minded and I've come to know your wife a little bit and your son a little bit. And you know, so I feel, and it's like, ah, our souls have come together for a reason. And so if you take that concept into the world of romance and partnership, and really set it on fire. Absolutely, I think that there are people who are meant to come into our lives where we can help uplift them and create more fullness in their lives and they come into our lives and uplift us and bring more fullness into our lives. Can that happen at any age? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, Sometimes we want someone to be our soulmate so badly that we don't see who they are. And that's the tricky part because, you know, hormones for all of us, passion for all of us can get in the way of, um, of what's, you know, really right for the heart. And, and I think that's what we feel when we meet somebody. There's that magical moment, the chemistry that we feel. And I think that might be that connection that we have with the other person. So there is like things click. And then there are others we just meet and things don't click from the beginning. So perhaps that could be some sort of like also indication of like, yes, you know, this is this is a person to pursue and this one knows stay away. Uh, what I, I wish see- I could say that I agree with that. No? Okay. That's okay. I just wanted, to, uh, you know, that. I, I agree with what you're saying, that that can be an indicator of being soulmates. It can also, so many people who have had horrific relationships will tell me we clicked so well. Everything lined up. Everything was just perfect. And that's the world of dating sometimes where both people are on their best behavior, you know, and things can click really well. You travel well together. You laugh really well together. You particularly see it in people who do drugs well together or drink well together because that's smoothing everything and you're not really getting to know the person. So that's, you know, as you can tell, I'm not a big fan of substances simply because it takes us away from who we truly are. And it puts us into a place where, um, and I've worked with so many people, especially young kids who have given up substances and they look back and go, I can't believe who I was. I didn't even know who I was, right? And so again, not judging that, I'm just saying, if you're on a, 
a, a self-growth trajectory and a relationship growth trajectory. Excessive substance use, daily substance use doesn't tend to work well with that. And it goes into the thing where people may think they have found a soulmate because they're self-medicating half the time and they found somebody who self-medicates with them. And so, yeah, you know, a really abusive person. Yeah. And just to also clarify, so for me, as uh, finding the, the soulmate is not already smooth sailing and everything is going to be fine because you are then in a relationship. And what I find with a relationship, I, I, I like to think of a Venn diagram where you have, I have my own things, uh, my wife has her own things, and then there is parts of it that we match. And this is the activities we do together. Then there are other things that we pursue on our own. But e even so, there is a lot of work involved. And that's a relationship's... Um, um, is, is challenging because people are changing. We're not static. So the person you say that we knew maybe a years ago might suddenly change. And then there's this path that I feel I've changed over the past few years. And does the other person change with me? Or is that person staying the same or going in a different direction? So even though you might have found the person who you uh, are supposed to be with, let's say destined to be with, it still takes a lot of work in, in my view. And uh, relationships are things that you have to constantly um, uh, deal with issues you have to come to co uh, compromise with each other and one thing that is very important is communication that's something you uh, know a lot about I can I could tell so what would you say what would be a really healthy way of communicating with the other person in terms of relationship needs and how things are going with the um, other person okay I just want to second what you said about relationships taking work we tend to think that we will find the right one and that we will live happily ever after like the fairy tales and the truth of the fairy tales for you know many many course in fairy tales for example cinderella it wasn't about cinderella meeting prince charming and the two the man and the woman living happily ever after the real fairy tale way before grimm's brothers got there you know hands on it and then it was romanticized and sanitized it was about the female side of the person meeting the male side of the person becoming a whole person and then living happily ever after as a united human being and so you know whether you're a man or a woman or you know if you don't you you know, some other gender, right? Male, female, something else. It is about bringing together all the pieces of your personality so that you can live happily ever after. That takes so much work. Mm -hmm. And then when you're in a relationship and you're, if even if you are doing the self-work in the relationship, as you said, you have to make sure to be doing your work each person so that you stay connected and you grow together while also being able to move out into the world and be individuals. And it takes work. It takes work on communication, on staying on the same page, on talking about things you'd rather not talk about and, and you know, learning to navigate that. So yes, communication is a key piece of that. And so what I tell people is, Often we communicate when we are already really fed up 
or we are super angry and super resentful, or we say, I'm conflict avoidant, I don't want to communicate, or I like to compartmentalize. Well, those are all things that are okay if that's your choice, but they're not going to lead you into happy relationships and successful relationships. And so communication doesn't need to be complicated. It simply needs to be about becoming aware of who you are, what your needs are, doing the same thing with a partner, not trying to make them be a version of you, but really learning to slow down and use things like I messages. I feel hurt when you ignore me, or I feel hurt when we go out to dinner and you're texting during dinner. I would prefer if, right? If you would leave your phone at home or in the car when we go out to dinner, because I love you and I want to communicate with you and I want to spend time with you. And so rather than saying, you're an idiot who's always on your cell phone. I can't stand you, right? Well, that's not going to get you anywhere except into a, into a battle. And so I believe that conflict is normal in relationships. I don't believe that we need to fight or battle in relationships, but that we can learn to talk about any issue in a kind, healthy, respectful way. And that involves being a good speaker, really being attuned to saying things as, as well as you can. We, we will never be perfect. And then for the listener to be really open and receptive and non-reactive and then trade places. And, you know, speaker, listener, it's, it's called mirroring or reflective listening. So I'm a big fan of that. And I think too often we spend so much time being on our best behavior in the outside world. And then we come home and we dump on our partners, whether it's our spouse or, you know, somebody we're dating. And I think that that's not, not, not going to be healthy. <laughs> and you mentioned that with the we uh, mindset. So instead of I, a we mindset, and that is when you are involved with another person, if it's uh, just another person or if it's a family, it's, it's a bigger unit as well. So you're involved with them as, as, as a unit. And uh, the word we means yes in French. So that is also wonderful. It's like a yes attitude. And, uh, and I like that. And I'd like to finish on, um, on something that I found also very interesting and something that is some, uh, something that personally resonates with me as well. The topic of pets, pets and dating. What can you tell us about that? I'm going to add some of my thoughts as well. Um, it was such a good point. And I know you and your family have Mr. Floofles, that beautiful <laughs> hamster. And he is a member of your family. And you love him and you get joy from him. And he's just part of your your Kula, your, your, your family. And it's the same for me. You know, I have um, Freedom, who's actually on the, on the back cover of Date Smart. And he is such a joy to me and to my husband. And I just love him immensely. And he's really good with my clients. And I just love him. He is a part of my family. He is here. So if I were dating and not married, right, then I would need someone who really respects my relationship with freedom and sees how important he is to me and how he is a daily part of my life as if he were a human child, right? And so when we get to know people in the dating process, if someone has a pet and they say, oh, my pet is kind of like an accessory, right? I don't really care about it or pay attention. Well, you don't pay attention to that. If somebody says, I don't like pets, I don't want pets, I have allergies or I just don't like them, 
pay attention to that because if you're matched on that and you don't like pets and you don't want pets, it's a good match. But in fact, I'm working with someone now where her partner hates her dog, absolutely hates her dog. And then another person where the partner is aloof with dogs. And in both cases, it's a real source of irritation because for both of these people, their dogs are very important to them. And so again, it's the same as if you're dating someone who has, you know, a child, that's part of the package. And if you don't like the package, then it won't be a good fit because it's not fair to get into a relationship and ask somebody to choose between you and their pet or you and their child. My goodness, no. And that ends up causing a lot of problems. So I really tell people it's important to like the whole package. It might not be a perfect package, but if there are deal breakers like, hey, you just cannot stand pets, then you know, it's best to move forward because you don't want to hurt that person who really has a beloved pet in their lives who's very meaningful to them. Exactly. And that's also a, here's a sign of respect for the for the uh, other member of the household or the family. I remember um, years ago when I was dating somebody, her cat liked me. And uh, so that was already a good sign. The relationship didn't work, but uh, at least the cat liked me. And uh, so one thing also, uh, tarantulas, if you are owner of a tarantula, so you're going to be in trouble. Uh, what would you tell uh, to people who are owners of tarantulas? And uh, if you can explain what I mean by that. <laughs> So tarantulas, you know, the research shows that dogs tend to be the most, um, let's say, go-to creatures. If you have someone who, if you're dating someone who has a dog, that's the most positive, right? And then it goes down to cats. And then at the bottom of the totem pole or people who have, I believe it's tarantulas. Where do and hamsters fit in there, by the way? I think hamsters have to be right up there with dogs because they're so cute. The other benefit of a hamster, they don't take quite as much work as, as a dog or a cat. And I wish you know, listeners could see Mr. Floofles, your, your hamster, because he's just this white, adorable, cotton ball, fluffy ball, just adorable personality. And so um, I think that when you look at something like a tarantula, I think that for, for people's pets, you know, whether it's lizards or fish, our choice of pets does say something about us. In, you know, and so if you have a tarantula and you're, you know, like, oh, I really like scary movies and I like scary things and this is part of who I am. Well, that might be a turnoff. But if you say, hey, I just have a fascination with with um, spiders, I always have, you know, I can tell you some really interesting details about the, the spiders, then it may not be a turnoff. So I really think so much of it depends on the personality. And sometimes the pet is indicative of you know, it is an indicator of somebody's personality. Wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to me uh, about you. your wonderful book, Date Smart, Transform Your Relationships and Love Fearlessly. And it has tons of wisdom. It also comes with a lot of uh, anecdotes of, of, of people. So I found that also very interesting too. Like it's related to, to people's lives. So people can identify with that as well. And then like I mentioned, the uh, 33 mindset shifts, I think that is very helpful, very useful. I learned also new words along the way, like fubbing, which are breadcrumbing and uh, and all those things, which I hadn't heard before. So it's 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 uh, filled with wisdom, insight. Thank you so much for writing it, and thank you so much for being on Arash's World to talk about it. Thank That's you for idea. having me. It's such a joy. <laughs>
Take care, Dr. Kava. Thank you.